You may not know that some of the years of my priestly formation took place in the Eternal City, the city of Rome. And I uh, had a really cool job when I was living in Rome as a seminarian. And that job was to lead tours of St. Peter's Basilica. And of course, the tour of St. Peter's was an hour and a half of hanging out with future Father Luke. And it was disguised as a tour of St. Peter's. But it really was evangelization. Because St. Peter's Basilica, every nook and cranny of that church is set in place for a precise reason to teach the people of God something about who they are and what, the, what their mother, the church, professes to be true. And one of my favorite places in St. Peter's is the baptistry, that place where the sacrament of baptism occurs in the basilica. And not unlike our baptistry over here, it's kind of, you know, in a side chapel, and you've got the normal baptismal font that you might see in lots of different places around the world, and it's pretty normal for, I mean, it's grandiose and it's beautiful, but I mean, it's a baptismal font. But what's really unique about the baptismal font at St. Peter's is that you've got the font and then it sits on top of a piece of porphyry, a a kind of stone. And this is a special stone that uh, the baptismal font at St. Peter's rests upon. The stone that the baptismal font in St. Peter's rests on top of is actually the lid of a funeral sarcophagus. And it's the lid of the funeral sarcophagus of the Roman Emperor Hadrian, one of the great persecutors of the first Christians. And it's his, the lid to his funeral sarcophagus, but it's flipped upside down. And so rather than being right, that piece that would lie on top of it, it's flipped upside down, and it now is the base for the sacrament of baptism. And you might hear this and think like, well, that's really weird. What's going on there? And there kind of are two reasons why uh, we, we have this in St. Peter's. The first one maybe is kind of an implicit, like, you know, Emperor Hadrian, you and your successors persecuted the Church of Christ. Where are you now? That's right, rotting in your graves. And where is the church that you persecuted? It still stands, and it has grown, and it is the mother of all peoples throughout the world. So you kind of have this na-na-na-na-na-na, but the more important reason why this rests in St. Peter's Basilica is it is a reminder to all of us that Jesus has come, literally, ready for the pun, to take death and flip it on its lid. Because the Christian way of seeing is not the world's way of seeing. The world sees death as the end, and Christ has come to show us that true life is found in death when we enter into it in the friendship of the living God. And so Jesus has come to remind us that his perspective is not ours. And as Christians, as his followers, we have a decision to make. Whose way of seeing do we strive to adopt in this world? And so in the gospel today, Jesus really goes after, he really challenges our way of seeing love. And brothers and sisters, you and I live in a culture that does not tell us the truth about a lot of things. And perhaps one of the greatest ways that the culture in which we live lies to the children of this age is by presenting a mutation, a false understanding of what the nature of love actually is. And so Jesus challenges us in our perspective in the gospel today, and he calls us to attention as if to ask us, whose way of seeing do you live? The way of this world that sees death as the end, or the way of friendship with me? that actually shows that there is life after death. 
And so there are three little ways that Jesus kind of challenges our understanding of the nature of love that we just heard in the gospel today. The first one is that love is conditional. You and I find ourselves living in a world that basically tells us, love the people that love you and don't waste time with anyone else. Right? People that love you back, by all means, like spend time with them, get to know them, enter into relationship with them, give them gifts, give yourself away to them. We live in a world that would tell us that you can keep score with love. That, you know, I took out the trash this week, so it's your turn now, or you always do this, and so now it's my turn. No, right? We live in a world that would tell us that love is conditional. And Jesus challenges us in the gospel that we just heard to allow that view of love to be blown up. Because Jesus asked a really important question to all of us. Loving people that love you, where is the honor in that? What is praiseworthy about loving people who love you back? True virtuous loving, true love is found in making a gift of ourselves to people who don't see it, who don't respond to it, who don't reciprocate to it. And so Jesus challenges us in the gospel. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love people who love them. And if you do good to people who love you, what's praiseworthy about that? Even sinners can do that. Brothers and sisters, what makes us stand out as Christians? Do we love people who love us? Or are are we willing to love people who make themselves unlovable in our eyes? And it's not hard for us to find those people in our world. All of us have people in our lives that are difficult to love. For some of us, it's the deacons. Oh, sorry, Deacon Mark. (laughs) All of us have people in our lives that are difficult to love. And Jesus challenges us to think, what do we do in those situations? Do we do our best to get around loving them? Where is the honor in that? Or do we choose to make a gift of ourselves without conditions, without counting? Because love by its nature is a decision that is made in freedom. And it does not count. When we start counting, like, well, I've done this 12 times and he hasn't responded. Or I did this 45 times and she still wants me to do it more. Love by its nature is without conditions. That means that it does not count. The second lie that we hear in our culture today is that if you love someone, you never judge anything about them. And we actually heard in our gospel today that Jesus says, like, don't judge. And a lot of times we hear this and we tend to think that like, okay, if I really love somebody, I'm going to be open-minded about everything that that they do, everything they say, everything they feel, everything they want, how they live entirely their lives. Moms and dads, is that real love? When your child comes to you and says, forget dinner, forget the green stuff, let's eat ice cream. Is that real love? To look at your child and to say, oh, well, yeah, you know, well, that's, that's good for you. So, yeah, do whatever you want to. Brothers and sisters, we are made with an intellect. We are made with a rational faculty, an ability to think and to reason. And to be human is to think and to reason. Another way that we could say this is to be human is to judge. But what is Jesus saying in the gospel today? Jesus is reminding us that to be human is to judge. Thoughts and actions, but never persons. Think about it. If we never judged thoughts as true or false, and we never judged actions as right or wrong, what would our world look like? We could never say that something was true or not true. 
We can never say, say something was right or not right. Would we, would we have any reason for the police? Uh, Father Luke, you were going 185 in the 30. Yeah, well, you know, I just you know, felt like, I got, okay, well, who am I to judge? No, brothers and sisters, when we choose not to judge thoughts as true or false and actions as right or wrong, that brings chaos into the world. And Jesus is a God of life, a God of freedom, and a God of order. And Jesus teaches us that there is a nature, there is a truth to what love is. And so we can ignore that, we can reject that, we can choose not to honor that. But at the end of the day, to be human is to think, is this thought true or false? Is this action right or wrong? And we live in a culture that would more or less tell us that if you really love someone, you don't think about anything and you don't judge any actions. But to be human is to think and to judge thoughts and actions, but never persons. And so we live in a time and in a space that would basically tell us, don't judge thinking, don't judge acting. But when someone thinks differently than you do, and when someone acts in a way that you're not okay with, what do you do? Cancel them. Justice, vengeance, destroy them. Whatever it takes to empty yourself of those kinds of people, that's what we should do. And brothers and sisters, we live in a world that gets it wrong. We are made to judge thoughts as true or false and actions as right or wrong, but we are never made to judge persons. Judgment of persons is reserved for God alone. And God offers one judgment on every person, and it it is that they are seen and they are worthy of his love. And so where is it in my life that I kind of like go off the rails with this judgment thing? Right? Am I one who tends to judge people and tell, you're this and you're that and wow? Or am I someone who tends to adopt the, you can't make judgments about anything ever for any reason? Jesus challenges our perspective in both of those worldviews. And he reminds us that to live a properly ordered life, we do judge, but we never judge persons. The last way that Jesus really challenges us in our perspective of love in our culture today is that we would tend to see love as tied to justice. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You disagree with me, therefore I can cancel you. You hold a different political view than I do, therefore you are the enemy. False. Jesus challenges that perspective in the gospel today, and he reminds us that our enemy is never persons. Regardless of who they are, what they say, or what they do, our enemy is never persons. In the Christian life. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It is powers and principalities. And so there is one judgment of persons always and everywhere. And it is that they are worthy of love. And so where is it in my life that I tend to not love the people that I disagree with? Whether that's the people who hold a different political worldview or the people who have the opposite view that I do on Facebook. What is it that I do in my life to reverence and to love the face of Jesus that I see in them? Because we live amidst a world that would tell us, cancel people that you disagree with. And Jesus challenges that, and he says, no, false, love them. And so all of us, brothers and sisters, have that space in our hearts that is not yet fully redeemed and conquered by the love of Jesus. All of us have those places in our lives where we tend to not want to love in a way that is without conditions, 
that we want to love in a way that either doesn't judge or judges in the wrong ways. All of us have those spaces in our hearts where we lend our love to be more of a justice rather than a mercy. And Jesus tells us in the gospel today, the children of God are called to be merciful as their father is merciful. Brothers and sisters, the heart of Jesus and the heart of every saint in history shows us how to respond to our true enemy. And our true enemy is not persons. Our true enemy is the power of evil. And the heart of Jesus and the heart of every saint that he has raised up for the last 2,000 years shows us that those hearts are are where evil goes to die. Jesus received the greatest evil that the world could bring, and he received all of it into his sacred heart. And what was his response? Unconditional love. You think about the saints that he has raised up in every age. Think of like St. Maximilian Kolbe, who lived in Auschwitz concentration camp, one of the most evil places in the history of the world. He received the brunt of evil into his life and into his heart. And what was his response? Unconditional love. The God of life and the God of love is about to place his heart at this altar. And he challenges us every time we come to Mass to empty ourselves of all of those spirits that move against the true understanding of what love is. He challenges us to place all of those things at the altar and then to let them die there. Because the heart of Jesus and the heart of his saints is where evil goes to die. And so in a special way in this Mass, we pray for the grace to, like Jesus and like his saints, be able to acknowledge evil for what it is and to let it die in our hearts. Because the response to evil is not conditions, it's not judgment of persons, it's not justice and vengeance. The response to evil in this day and age is unconditional love.